For more information about our teaching and preaching ministry, you can find us online at cornerstoneorlando.org. The following sermon has been brought to you by Cornerstone Orlando, making disciples for the glory of God. Our sermon title this morning is From Grumbling to Grateful, From Grumbling to Grateful. And we'll look at various texts. Our home base is Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. I want to open this morning by referencing the same text that our brother did in the call to repentance this morning, that account of Jesus Christ meeting with the 10 lepers on the road to Jerusalem in Luke 17. According to the law of Moses, a leper couldn't come near anyone. A leprosy was a contagion, and everywhere that the leper went, the leper was required under law to cry out, unclean, unclean, unclean. Everywhere the leper went, unclean. They had to announce their presence so that no one would come near them and catch the the contagion. In verse 12, as the Lord Jesus Christ entered a certain village on the road toward Jerusalem, he met on the road there 10 men who were lepers. And the text says that they stood afar off, afar off from him, and they lifted up their voices and said to him, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, there are many accounts of lepers in the Bible. But those involving the Lord Jesus Christ are particularly impactful. And how the Lord Jesus Christ interacts with someone who has this contagion, right? This contagion, as our brother pointed out, pictures our spiritual condition. And brothers and sisters, we're far worse off than a bunch of lepers. We're far worse off than merely having a physical ailment. We have a spiritual ailment. But the Lord Jesus Christ interacts with lepers. He reaches out his hand to take them by the hand. Uh, He heals them of their leprosy. The Lord Jesus Christ is gracious and compassionate. So as they cry out, Lord, have mercy on us, the Lord Jesus Christ, in mercy and in grace toward them, says, go show yourselves to the priests. The priests were the only ones who were able to certify that a person had been cleansed of his leprosy. They were the ones charged with that responsibility. And so they went off along their way, in faith, presumably, to present themselves to the priests to be cleansed of their leprosy. They had asked the Lord Jesus Christ for this gift, and the Lord sends them along their way to go meet with the priests. Verse 15. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, right, as they were walking along the way, they're miraculously healed of their leprosy. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned with a loud voice, a loud voice glorifying God. He fell down on his fate, face at his feet, giving him thanks. And this one was a Samaritan. A Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said in verse 17, were there not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? One not even in covenant. And he said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now we hear an account like that, And we're shocked. Where are the other nine? (laughs) Aren't we those ungrateful men? And at once we charge them with ingratitude. Our spiritual condition, far worse than the physical condition of those lepers. And we, brothers and sisters, we have been gloriously cleansed by our great high priest. 
We were dead in trespasses and sins. He has made us alive together with Christ. He has seated us in heavenly places. He has given us every spiritual blessing. And if we're honest with ourselves, we are far too often walking along the road oblivious, too busy, too preoccupied, too self-involved to remember the goodness of God to us. Too busy, preoccupied with those things to turn back and to give him thanks. We are too prone to be an ungrateful people. God warned the grumbling Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Listen to God's warning to the Israelites. Verse 11, he says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. How is it that we forget the Lord? We forget to keep his commandments. We forget to do what he says. We go about our way and we don't obey him. We don't observe his word. We're not following after him. We forget. So the Lord tells these grumbling, complaining Israelites, don't forget. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, when your herds, your flocks multiply, your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied. In other words, there's a connection between all that we're given and our ingratitude, forgetting the Lord. Right? We get all these things. We're blessed with all these things. We become fixated or occupied with all that we've been given, and we forget the one who's given them to us. We forget that all of them come from God. When your heart is lifted up, you forget the Lord your God who has given you all these things. You forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, from out of the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land which there was, where there was no water. You forget the one who brought water for you out of the flinty rock. You who fed you in the wilderness with manna, you forget that one which your fathers did not know. That he did all these things for you to humble you, that he might test you to, to, to do you good in the end. And then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. You become occupied with all that you have. You forget the Lord your God. You're ungrateful and then you begin to think, I'm the one who provided this for myself. I'm the one who works hard for all I'm paid. I'm the one who gets all these things. By my hand, the might of my hand, I have gained this wealth. Ungrateful people. Right? Grateful people remember. Grateful people are not preoccupied with all that they've been given. Grateful people are preoccupied with the one who gave them to them, right? God did all this for them, and they were ungrateful. And yet, he has lavished far more on us, hasn't he? Lavished far more on us. Lavished on us far greater blessings through the person and work of Jesus Christ, his son. And yet, we too often forget his goodness. We are too often ungrateful. We're prone to ingratitude. We have to acknowledge that. If you're just honest with yourself for a moment, and you think about all the time that you spend... We should be pouring out. We should be abounding in thanksgiving, continuously, unceasingly thankful people. Paul commands the people of God in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He commands, verse 16, rejoice always. <laughs> Pray without ceasing and in 
everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You want to know what the will of God for you is? Are you looking for what the will of God for your life is? This is it. Give thanks in everything. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. Incidentally, you can only give thanks in everything when you understand the sovereignty of God in all of your circumstances. The sovereignty of God with everything that you've been given. The sovereignty of God with everything that you face. When you understand the sovereignty of God, that God is the one who decrees all things whatsoever that come to pass, then you can be grateful in everything because you know that it comes from the sovereign hand of God who has provided that for your good. We are to be a grateful people. Now, I've heard gratitude defined this way. Gratitude is a heart attitude of thankfulness that is outwardly expressed. It's a heart attitude of thankfulness that is then outwardly expressed. In the same way that grumbling and complaining begins with corruption in the heart, as Burroughs says, strong corruption, vile corruption, in the same way that grumbling and complaining begins with corruption in the heart, and then that vile corruption is leached into the air through that unruly member in your mouth, so too, in the same way, gratitude has both an inward and an outward component. Gratitude begins with an inward heart attitude, an inward attitude of the heart that is then outwardly expressed in thoughts, emotions, words, and actions. That's what gratitude is. Begins with an inward heart attitude that is then outwardly expressed, thoughts, emotions, words, and actions. It's the combination of those two things, an inward heart attitude, an outward expression, those two things combined distinguish genuine or true gratitude. Gratitude is an inward heart attitude of thankfulness that is outwardly expressed. Now, unexpressed gratitude is not really gratitude at all. True gratitude is naturally, you could say, naturally expressed in thoughts, emotions, words, or actions. True gratitude finds expression. Likewise, outward expression of gratitude without the corresponding heart attitude is just being polite. It's not true gratitude. True gratitude always flows from the heart. A 10-year-old boy who gets a video game for his birthday may get excited about the game, but if he doesn't say thank you, we would consider him ungrateful, wouldn't we? He's an ungrateful little boy. On the other hand, on the other hand, the 10-year-old little boy who gets socks for his birthday may say thank you, but he's just being polite, <laughs> right? He's just being polite. Gratitude is both the inward heart disposition of thankfulness and it's the outward expression of that gratitude expressed in thoughts, emotions, words, or actions. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, okay? Now then, there are two qualities, two qualities that then characterize that inward heart attitude. Remember, it's an inward heart attitude that is outwardly expressed. There are two qualities, two characteristics that distinguish that inward heart attitude, the inward heart attitude that leads to genuine expression. Those two indispensable qualities are these, delight and humility, delight and humility. The heart of a genuinely grateful person is filled with a sense of delight and humility. Their gratitude is going to be in proportion to those two characteristics, to those two qualities. Now concerning delight, think with me. The one who is grateful may certainly delight in a gift. He'll delight in the gift. But that sense of delight in the gift is exponentially increased 
by our delight in the giver. That's the way gratitude works. Now think with me. A professional artist might give you a painting that you think is beautiful. And you'd be grateful for that painting. You think it's beautiful. But you delight far more in the scribbled drawings of your five-year-old daughter. Which one are you more grateful for? I'll take the scribbled drawings. <laughs> Why? It doesn't matter that she, she draws outside the lines. She doesn't, it doesn't matter that she, she colored with orange and pink together. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You delight more in those scribbled drawings of your five-year-old daughter. Why? Because you delight in the one who gave them to you. Right? Your delight is exponentially increased because you delight in the one who gave you that. The genuinely grateful person is filled with delight. And that delight is exponentially increased when we delight in the one who gives those gifts to us. Those gifts themselves are expressions of love. They're expressions of delight. And we delight in them. We delight in the one who gives them to us. A concerning humility then. Remember the two aspects, delight and humility. Concerning humility. The one who is grateful may in some way merit what is given to them. You may be genuinely grateful for a paycheck. But there's a transaction that takes place with a paycheck. You can be grateful for the paycheck, but you earned that paycheck, right? You may be genuinely grateful for the mechanic that you paid to fix your car. You may be genuinely grateful. But your sense of gratitude for a gift is exponentially increased the more undeserving that you see yourself. It's increased exponentially. I remember being grateful once when a loan officer at the bank gave me a big fat check. <laughs> I remember being grateful when the loan officer gave me a check. But I was far more grateful for the $100 that I would every once in a while receive from my retired grandmother on a fixed income who couldn't afford it when I was a poor college kid. <laughs> I was far more grateful for that far more grateful because I knew I didn't deserve that kind of love from her or that kind of care. I delighted in her. I certainly delighted in her. I delighted in the gift and I knew I didn't deserve it. That, those combined aspects of delight and humility increase our gratitude. It's the absence of those two things that lead to ingratitude, which leads to Outward expressions of grumbling and complaining. See, the, the inverse is also true. When you lack humility, where does grumbling and complaining come from? Where does ingratitude come from? When you lack delight in the gifts that you've been given, and you lack delight in the one who has given you those gifts, ultimately God. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, right? Every good and perfect gift that we have comes from Him. When you fail to delight in Him, when you fail to delight in His blessings, and when you lack humility, when you're wrapped up in your own self-entitlement, when you're self-absorbed, self-righteous, self-justifying, when you lack delight and when you lack humility, that's a recipe for ingratitude, ingratitude, which leads to grumbling and complaining. And brothers and sisters, that's how gratitude works. It's an inward heart attitude that is expressed outwardly. That inward heart attitude has two characteristics, delight and humility. The more that you know you don't deserve it, 
the more that you delight in the gift, and particularly the more that you delight in the giver, the more genuinely grateful you are. So we're continuing to build our definition, aren't we? Gratitude, then, is an inward heart attitude of thankfulness cultivated by a humble delight in both gift and giver and outwardly expressed then in thoughts, emotions, words, and actions. We have to add in there that it is cultivated by a humble delight. Now, if we think about gratitude in that way, that understanding of gratitude certainly sheds light on our understanding of ingratitude, doesn't it? Certainly sheds light on our understanding of ingratitude. Ingratitude is not humble. Ingratitude does not delight. Ingratitude is not outwardly expressed in thanks. Ingratitude, obviously, is outwardly expressed in grumbling and complaining. Ingratitude is something that marks the unbeliever. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Ingratitude is a predominant characteristic of the lost sinner. Ingratitude is a predominant characteristic of the unbeliever. That's Romans chapter 1. It's unbelievable that the unbeliever would be ungrateful. Romans chapter 1. Look there at verse 18. If you remember this text from a couple of years ago now. For the wrath of God is presently being revealed. That's what the grammar there tells us. The wrath of God, it's not something that's going to be poured out only at the end, right? In ultimate final judgment. The wrath of God is presently being revealed. The wrath of God is present being, presently being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in their unrighteousness because... What may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. God's wrath is presently being poured out. He is pouring out his wrath in various ways upon ungodly and unrighteous men. Those ungodly and unrighteous men are suppressing the truth of God in their sin. And it's being poured out because God has condescended in grace and in mercy to reveal himself to them God has made himself known in them, and God has manifest this revelation to them. In other words, God does not leave sinners without a gracious witness to himself. Paul says in Acts 14 that in that God has done good. God does not leave himself without a witness of himself. What may be known of God, Paul says here in Romans 1, is manifest in them. It's manifest in them through the work of the law written upon their heart, their conscience also bearing witness. And notice verse 19, God has shown it to them. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. In other words, there has been sufficient time given. This gracious revelation has been given since the creation of the world. There is sufficient clarity to that revelation. This gracious revelation is evident. Even his invisible attributes are clearly seen. There's sufficient content to that revelation. This revelation is understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and godhood. And all of this works together to form a sufficient basis on which his judgment is poured out. In suppressing the truth of God in their unrighteousness, all men are without excuse. God has given a gracious and sufficient revelation of himself. And the revelation that God has graciously given 
of himself in creation alone is sufficient to render all men indefensible before the judgment seat of Christ. They are without excuse. Verse 21, because they are without excuse because although they knew God, although they knew him, they may say, I don't know him. They know him. This revelation is clear. It is sufficient. It is evident. It has been manifest in them. It has been manifest to them. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. They suppressed the truth that had been revealed to them. They suppressed it. You cannot do away with it. You can only suppress it. They did not glorify him as God, nor were they grateful, but they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, what would be the reasonable and rational response of man to God's revelation? In light of that text, what would it be? One, worship. They would glorify him as God. The second would be gratitude. They should be thankful, giving thanks for who he is and what he has done. What do they do instead? Instead of glorifying him as God, instead of worshiping him as God, and instead of being grateful, what do they do instead? They reject God's clear, repeated, sufficient self-disclosure. They suppress that truth, like trying to block the sun with their thumb. Right? They suppress it, all for the sake of their unrighteousness. In favor of their sin, they try to block out the sun with their thumb. That revelation cannot be silenced it can only be suppressed. Right? The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Psalm 19, day unto day utter speech. Night under night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. You cannot block, you cannot hide, you cannot repress that revelation. Uh, you can only try to suppress it, block it out. The glory of God is constantly on display. Calvin described creation as a theater for God's glory. A theater filled with numberless wonders, Calvin said. Calvin said, we see indeed the world with our eyes. We tread the earth with our feet. We tread innumerable kinds of God's works with our hands. We inhale a sweet and pleasant fragrance from herbs and flowers. We enjoy boundless benefits but in those very things of which we obtain some knowledge, there dwells such an immensity of divine power, goodness, and wisdom as absorbs all our senses. God's creation will one day, when we are glorified, absorb all our senses into a magnifying of his grace and his wonder and his power and his might and his glory and his goodness. So we take in his creation in all eternity. We, were, we as creatures were made in the image of God, made in the image of God to enter into his creation and to gain an enjoy, a sense of enjoyment and delight in him, to reflect his glory and his power and his goodness, to enter into an enjoyment of his creation. His creation as the stage on which we find ultimate joy and delight in the one who created it. And that should, that should compel us to worship and it should compel us to gratitude. Sinful men suppress that truth of God in the sewer of their sin. And so their thoughts become futile, worthless. 
Futility means it's futile because it is incapable of producing the results for which it was created. You and I were created for worship. We were created to find our delight in him. And as lost sinners, we have become futile in our thoughts in the sense that we are incapable, incapable of rendering the worship and delight and gratitude that we were created to produce. Our thoughts become futile, worthless. Our foolish hearts become darkened, unable to perceive truth, unable to understand. We're walking around in darkness. Therefore, Romans 1 says, God gives them up to uncleanness. That's God's retributive wrath, a wrath that is presently being revealed against all unrighteousness, ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. God gives them up to vile passions, gives them over to a debased mind. The text gives us the basis for God's righteous judgment against sinful men. This is God's righteous and retributive justice. But at the very same time, Romans 1, Paul tells us what our basic responsibilities as human beings are, as those created by God. In response to no more than the general revelation of God given to us in creation, the reasonable, the expected response of the creature is to glorify him as God, to worship him, and to be grateful. Gratitude is a basic responsibility of humans created in his image. It's a basic responsibility. We are to delight in him. We are to delight in what he has done. We are to humble ourselves and understand that we are creature not only a creature, but a sinful creature, undeserving of any kindness from him, and we are to be grateful. Grateful worship is the basic obligation of the creature. And what do we do? We express ingratitude. (laughs) We grumble and complain. You don't hear any other part of God's creation grumbling and complaining in an ungrateful way against the creator. Now, creation groans, if you remember, that's Romans 8. But what does creation groan under? It groans under our, the effects of our own sin. We, the apex of God's creation, we are the ones who express ingratitude. We grumble and we complain when gratitude is the basic response reasonable response of the creature. If gratitude is the basic and reasonable response of a sinner to God's general revelation, if that's our obligation, then how grateful ought we to be, how grateful ought you and I to be, who are the beneficiaries of his special revelation? We should be a continuously grateful people. And brothers and sisters, it is shameful when we aren't. It is shameful when we express ingratitude. It is shameful when we complain, when we grumble against God, when we complain and grumble against one another. It is shameful. Paul describes our day in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Frankly, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is also describing much of the professing church today. Paul says this in verse 1, know this, That in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, 
unforgiving. They can't forgive. They're on the attack. Slanders. They become scoffers, malicious gossips. Without self-control, you can't reason with them. It's like taking a dog by the ears. Brutal. Despisers of good. Traitors. Headstrong. Haughty. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness. They profess godliness. There's some, there's some husk of godliness that seems to attend them, but they deny its power to transform them. They deny that in their thoughts, their actions, their grumbling and complaining. Paul says, from such people turn away. Right in the middle of this horrific list of sins is the sin of ingratitude, unthankful. When we grumble and complain, when we are ungrateful, we are acting like this lost, treacherous, and condemned people. When we complain, when we're ungrateful, this is how we're acting. We're acting like these people described in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We are taking upon ourselves the spirit of this age. We are allowing ourselves to be conformed, pressed into the mold of this evil age, and we are not allowing ourselves to be renewed, transformed by the renewing of our minds. When you find yourself grumbling and complaining about someone, when you find yourself grumbling and complaining about something, you should see it in your heart and mind as an indication of ingratitude. And we are to be a grateful people. Grumbling and complaining is incompatible with delight. When you grumble and complain, you're not delighting in him. You're not delighting in his gifts. You're not delighting in his work. You're not delighting in his sovereign care. Let me give you an example. That church plan in Dahabon is too expensive. They'll never be able to support themselves. They'll always need support. It's a burden on the church to support that church plant in Dahabon. I'm using actual words. They don't even know the language. They don't even know the language. What is that? That's called grumbling and complaining. There's an open door there for the gospel. The Lord has already poured out his blessings upon the church plant in Guatemala, lavished his blessings upon that work. God has provided a man and his family who are all willing to go to preach the gospel to a people who don't have a biblical church there. God has gifted him with the ability to learn languages. And he's now preaching, already preaching, in Spanish and in Creole. He's learned two of them. <laughs> the Lord has provided us with an abundance of financial resources. We have everything we need. We have an abundance. We can provide for the work. By God's grace, people are there hearing the gospel. There are already people there who are saved. And there is a healthy, thriving church where there was none before. There is a thriving biblical banner for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ that has been planted in Dahabon. Praise God, right? Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for Guatemala. 
Thank you, God, for Dahabon. Thank you, God, for the gospel. Thank you, God, for our privilege, our blessing of being able to support that work. Thank you, God, that we can be like those who rolled away the stone when Jesus Christ raised Lazarus from the dead. That we're allowed to participate in taking off the grave clothes of those who were once dead in trespasses and sin. Thank you, God, for our privilege, our blessing of being able to enter into that good work. Thank you, God. Why would we ever complain about such a thing? It's because we're ungrateful. It's because we're ungrateful. That is, that is an indication of ingratitude. We've stopped delighting in the gifts of God. We've stopped delighting in the one who gives such gifts to us. We've stopped delighting in his work. We've stopped delighting in who he is. We've stopped delighting in what he's done. And we are ungrateful. Now pick your issue. Pick your issue, whatever it is. Doesn't matter what it is. Spending money on this, spending time on this. This decision wasn't wise. That direction's not good. We should have never done that. You should have never said that. These issues are all causing strife and contention in the Lord's church. No, no. What's causing strife and contention in the Lord's church is all your griping and complaining. Griping and complaining, ingratitude, will cause strife and contention in your home. It will cause strife and contention on the job. It will cause strife and contention in your relationships. When you grumble and complain, you've lost sight of God's grace. And we cannot be grateful for that which we do not see. I have this massive plank in my eye and I can't see around it to be grateful. When you grumble and complain, when you're ungrateful, you're not delighting in his gifts, you're not delighting in his person, and you're not seeing yourself as undeserving. In fact, you're seeing yourself as entitled. Entitled to something else. And so you are ungrateful. Let me give you an indication. Let me show you where ingratitude leads. Now think with me about this, this process, okay? And, and put this together in your heart and mind. This is where ingratitude leads. And it leads this, to this uh, in the church. Ingratitude will lead you along this progression in your marriage, in your home, in your family, in your relationships, in your work. This is where ingratitude leads. As we've seen, ingratitude leads to complaining. Complaining. Complaining is incompatible with delight in the mercies of God. Complaining is incompatible with delight in the sovereign person of God. Complaining is the fruit of a haughty spirit that is incompatible with a humble spirit. Complaining is an indication of vile, strong corruption in the heart. Ingratitude leads to complaining. Complaining, second, complaining leads to criticism. Complaining leads to criticism. The word most frequently translated grumbling or complaining in the, in the New Testament, again, is most frequently translated with a preposition that means over or against. When you grumble or complain, you're not just grumbling and complaining, you're grumbling or complaining over or against someone, against something. Grumbling and complaining is an assault on them. It's a claim of injustice, a false claim of injustice made against them. So complaining against them inevitably, it invariably leads to criticism. Complaining to criticism. They aren't measuring up to your standard. They're not meeting your expectations. You're making judgments based upon personal opinion 
then you feel entirely justified in thinking and feeling the way that you do. They're not meeting your standard. Do your deplorable pride, you feel entirely entitled to have things go your way. You feel entitled then to sit as judge and jury over your brother, over your husband, over your wife, over your boss, over the kids, over your circumstances. Your complaining then takes the form, inevitably, complaining takes the form of criticism. Criticism left unchecked will lead to a critical spirit, a judgmental spirit, a fault-finding spirit. You can find fault in anything. All the while, all the while, you have this massive plank in your own eye, and you find, with a massive plank in your own eye, you find yourself picking at the speck in your brother's eye. You have become the sanctimonious nitpicker. (laughs) Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, describes the sanctimonious nitpicker. Verse 1, judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. This is God's retributive justice. In retributive justice, God will judge you using the same measure that you have used to judge your brother. Haman was hung from the very same gallows that he had built for Mordecai. Verse 3, and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, there's a plank in your own eye. In other words, a critical spirit will blind you to your own sin. You're unable to see your own sin, your own undeserved self-entitlement. It will blind you to the blessings of God. Jesus Christ says, you hypocrite. Hypocrite. The hypocrite puts on a mask or puts on an air of superiority. They stand in the place of judge and they pass their judgments against you. They can't even see clearly enough to judge the simplest of matters for themselves. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Only when you see yourself rightly, only when you stop grumbling and complaining, will you be able to effectively help others. Your complaining has led to criticism. Now already, right, ingratitude leads to complaining, leads to criticism. Can you feel death creeping in? Right. Have you ever experienced this before or am I the only one? I guess I'm the only one. This is where you sense death creeping in already. The downward spiral continues as ingratitude is manifest in complaining, as complaining cultivates a critical spirit So ongoing criticism breeds contempt, breeds contempt. Your wife, a woman you once adored, has now become your adversary. Your husband, a man you once wanted to to spend the rest of your life with, can now do nothing right. At this stage, everything they do is under a cloud of suspicion, or worse, it's painted in the worst possible light, because after all, they're your adversary. You've got to have one up on them. They're your enemy now. So everything has to be painted in the worst possible light. Bitterness sets in at this stage. Old offenses were brought up. Offenses that were never brought up are now brought up. Things that weren't even offenses are now brought up as offenses. (laughs) New offenses are fabricated. This is when accusations get trumped up. They get exaggerated. It's not enough anymore to merely criticize It's not enough to criticize. Four, contempt results in counterattack. Now you're on the offensive. Counterattack. 
This is a stage at which you begin to act with real malice. Your words are purposeful attempts to wound or demean or to belittle or to harm. You become a scoffer. You feel entirely justified in your slander. Harsh comments, biting sarcasm, insults, not only acceptable, they're necessary. You've got to expose this enemy, your adversary. You may fake some sense of decorum, but there is no genuine compassion left. You'll tell anyone your story of abuse at the hands of this monster. More, the more allies you gain to your side, the more sympathy you get from your fellow slanderers, the more justified you feel in your course of action. Why? Because you, you hate him, her, them, that. Your contempt has led to counterattack. Counterattack five leads to total collapse. Total collapse. You've torn down your house with your own hands and you don't even know it. You're beyond reason. They will kill you thinking that they do God's service. They will not listen. You are like that grumbling Israelite standing at the very border of the promised land wanting to stone Moses and Aaron for saying we ought to go in and take it. God has brought you out of Egypt. God has defeated your enemies. God has led you with a pillar of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. He's fed you with bread out of heaven, water out of the flinty rock, but you see no good in it. And you will find that there is a door that leads to hell even from the gates of heaven. Complaining, ingratitude leads to complaining, criticism, contempt, counterattack, collapse. All begins with ingratitude. That, is, that will be the case in your home if you're not laboring against it. That'll be the case in your marriage if you're not working on it. That'll be the case in your church if you're not digging it out. That'll be the case at work That'll be the case in your relationships. That'll be the case if you're not a grateful person. The seed that needs to be inserted somewhere along that descent into hell, the seed that needs to be inserted is confrontation. At some point, you've got to confront yourself or confront the person who is perpetrating that descent. We need to simply, lovingly, patiently accept responsibility and patiently, lovingly, kindly redirect, correct if necessary, our complaining or the complaining of another. And you can do that very simply by calling attention to all we have to be grateful for. When it begins, at the first hint of ingratitude, at that fellowship, when someone says, we ought to be doing it, we should be grateful for what we are doing. <laughs> he ought to be doing We should be really grateful for what he is doing. They ought to be. We should be grateful that we have the blessing of being in communion and fellowship. Right? Just redirect. Simple redirect. The farther down the spiral that it descends, the more difficult and painful that confrontation becomes and the more intransigent that the sinner becomes. We have to take responsibility and we have to enter into that sooner, not later. We must acknowledge that we are undeserving of his grace. We need to delight in all that he's given us. We need to delight in him. He is worthy of praise and worship. Turn with me, lastly, to, hang in there with me, Ephesians chapter five. Ephesians chapter five. 
Verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear, dear children. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has give, and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But, verse 3, fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Right? Gratitude is mutually exclusive to filthiness, foolish talking, coarse jesting, which are not fitting. Those things are not fitting, but rather give thanks. When you hear filthiness, foolish talking, coarse jesting, complaining, ingratitude, put a stop to that, and rather give thanks. Give thanks. We need to be a grateful people. Verse 15, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. We understand where ingratitude will lead us. Redeem the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What is the will of the Lord? That we rejoice always. We give thanks in everything. Give thanks in everything. Do not be drunk with wine, verse 18, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. What does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Right? Each of these participles, these I-N-G words. Speaking, seeking, singing, giving thanks, submitting. Verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks for all things. 1 Thessalonians 5, giving thanks in all things. Here, Ephesians chapter 5, giving thanks for all things. Only possible because God is sovereign over all things and has promised to work all things together for our good. So giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God, not grumbling or complaining against them, not asserting our opinions against them, not asserting our preferences against them, but submitting to one another in the fear of God. That's a command there, by the way. Be filled with the Spirit in all of those participles that attend that command. We are to speak, we are to sing, we are to give thanks, we are to submit. A Spirit-filled person is not the, the wild, charismaniac, right? Um, frothing and doing those things. The spirit-filled person is the one who is grateful. The spirit-filled person is the one who is speaking kind words, putting on tender mercies, the one who is submitting to one another in the fear of God. The spirit-filled person is the one who is overflowing with gratitude toward God for all things. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, so that all the blessings of his grace are for our sakes, so that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. All that God has done for us should cause all of us, the many, to abound in thanksgiving. All those good blessings are given for our sakes so that that grace may result in thanksgiving to the glory of God. Amen. Let's be a grateful people. Let's labor at it. We have much to be grateful for. Pray with me. Father in heaven, Lord, we do indeed have much to be grateful for. Um, so much, in fact, that uh, words and time entirely fail us in that sense. That you, Lord, are gracious 
and good to us. And that is a dramatic understatement. You've been infinitely gracious toward us, immeasurably good to us, indescribably good to us through the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. All that you've lavished upon us as beneficiaries of your grace. And we are grateful to you for these things. But we are grateful, certainly, for all those blessings. And they are indescribable blessings. But our gratitude, Lord, our delight is exponentially increased when we consider who you are. And we delight in you. Perfect in every way. Infinite in goodness. Infinite in kindness. Infinite in compassion. Delighting to show mercy. Pouring out your grace on thousands of generations of those who love you, those who have been called according to your purpose. We praise you and thank you for who you are. We praise you and thank you for what you've done. And we delight in your word. Cause us, Lord, to abound in this grace of gratitude. Cause us to abound with gratitude toward you. Cause us to abound with gratitude toward one another. And Lord, through the means of that grace, please protect us from ingratitude. Protect us from grumbling and complaining. Protect us from that complaining, descending into criticism, descending into contempt, descending into counterattack, descending into collapse, descending into hell. Please protect us, Lord, from such wickedness. May we be walking, living, breathing testimony of the grace of goodness to us. We love you. Thanks for listening. My name is Mark Brashear, and I have the blessed privilege of serving with the Saints at Cornerstone Church near Orlando, Florida. We're so grateful that you've connected with us through the sermon that you've just heard. For more information, visit us at cornerstoneorlando.org. Or better yet, come and see us on the Lord's Day at 3370 Snow Hill Road in Oviedo, Florida. We're just east of Orlando and about 15 minutes from the campus at UCF. It would be a joy to have you worship with us.